0: Ben Bromley ditched us. He ditched us. He's, he ditched us. He's totally smoking us. looking wings in his backyard. And Making a putting sauce. And homemade buffalo sauce. Well, kind of homemade. He took pre-made hot sauce and mixed it with butter and other stuff and made hot wing sauce out of it. And he is hosting a party tonight on a Monday. Who does that, Jason?
1: Ben Bromley does that. Ben Bromley does person. that.
0: Ben Bromley hosts a debate watch party and serves delicious-looking wings with homemade sauce. That scoundrel.
1: Fie on great. you, sir,
0: who is producing this show. Fie on you. <laughs> He's still going to put the show this together is, and This is the it. part
1: that he'll definitely hear, too. <laughs> I, know.
0: I did not this is, think this through when I thought of doing hide this. We can't our insults.
1: We've, we've gone straight for it. Well,
0: you know what? We're not duplicative. Duplicative? Duplicative? We are... Yes, we are straightforward. We are not two faced. If we insult you, we will do it to your face while you're not here, but you'll hear it later.
1: <laughs> it's kind of the same. It's it's
0: basically the same thing as doing it to your face. Thanks for p- producing the show, Ben. Love Adam and Jason. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Two-man show tonight. I'm Adam Taylor. He's Jason Anderson. We're both from blackandredunited.com, where we write about D.C. United. And uh, whatever else catches our mind, U.S. national teams, Washington Spirit, the playoff-bound Washington Spirit, I should say. The Richmond Kickers, also probably playoff-bound. And like I said, D.C. United, who, as of this moment are potentially playoff bound. And we're going to talk about the win that put them above the red line tonight, a four, one win over Orlando city on Saturday night. And we are going to talk about their next game Wednesday night, also at RFK stadium against a surprisingly resurgent Columbus crew SC, as they will insist on being called. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. We will not talk about next weekend's game in Toronto against the, I don't, they're tied for first right now in the East Toronto FC. Um, We're going to have a second show later in the week. Uh, I think on Friday it'll probably drop. So stick around and stay tuned for that. Uh, Tonight, though, it'll just be Orlando and Columbus. I'm sure there's some kind of nickname you could give that combination, but I'm not going to do it right now. Before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking?
1: Uh, So last week I mentioned uh, I was trying to mention the booze that I bought and I could only see one of the bottles. Um, to rem- And that was the one that I could remember. Uh, so I've made myself a, an old favorite of the show. I've made the Bitter Old Man, um, which is an old-fashioned with uh, brown sugar and a couple extra dashes of bitters. And the uh, bourbon, in this case, is a rye. It's Cody Road um, rye from nice. Iowa. It's named after Buffalo Bill Cody. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's got a nice, like, spiciness right up front, um, which I uh, uh, should— yeah, um but I mean even even amongst ryes this is a, a spicy up front one. It's not spicy the whole way through, but uh it it, it lets you know what it's all about, which I think is befitting for a rye named after an old west uh gunslinging type. Um I don't think he was too much of a beater on the bush kind of guy. Uh you never know though. We, this is all mythology at this point with those guys. But um overall, uh, I'm I'm pretty pleased. It's a good pickup and uh the the bitter old man, brown sugar, a couple extra dashes of bitters. And a little club soda, as you do. Um, no fruit. That's the other thing. I almost forgot the the yes, thing that makes it the. Yeah,
0: that's the most important distinguishing thing from an old fashioned. Yeah. So uh, you you mentioned the the liquor store sale that you go to. It's really more than a liquor store. It sounds like. Uh, and last week I actually asked you to pick something up for me, and I was not disappointed. On Saturday, you gave me a bottle of Creante mezcal and it is fantastic and i thank you profusely for that thank you very much for this wonderful mezcal you should
1: be glad that that i was pushed to look for the mezcal because initially i just i was like they don't have very much i'm gonna go for the other stuff that you looked at and that was all picked clean because it's a three-day sale and by day three it's basically like uh the the last flight out of saigon um well i'm glad
0: this the little people of baby don't like mescal, of mescal apparently. made it on the helicopter <laughs> that's not insensitive at all i'm sure um it's it's really good it's smoky it's also pretty light um okay uh it, it's got a lot of agave um taste in it so it, it's you you can taste the kinship to tequila but it's clear it's not aged at all the smoke comes from the way they ferment the agave which is by smoking it essentially throwing it on uh, smoldering coals and sometimes even burying it in the ground depending on the brand of mezcal and then you know taking that and fermenting it and then distilling it so you get a lot of the smoke coming through all the way and it comes through on this and the creante I guess is Spanish for believer is what Google told me uh, yes. and they 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 talk about being a, a chimera of a jaguar and antelope and a mexican golden eagle and while i can't speak to the taste profiles of those creatures and how they would blend it is a blended mezcal and it is very good so uh, i highly recommend it tonight i made a play on a manhattan with it and orange bitters and dry vermouth okay uh, and it it's a nice little cocktail the the Mezcal shines through it. it. It definitely plays well with the orange bitters and the, the dry vermouth.
1: Uh, I've been kind of in a Mezcal mood because a couple of weeks ago, my friend Phil, who may or may not hear this because he listens intermittently, um, he and I were going to go out. There's a uh, Mezcal bar near his place in Baltimore. We were going to go there um, after he put his kids to bed. Um, we were going to walk over there. It was going to be really nice. Uh, but he gets up very early, uh, and by the time he put his daughter to bed, she generally wants him to hang out in, in the dark room for a few minutes, and in those few minutes, he fell asleep, uh, which is what happens when you get into your mid-30s and you're tired and you lay down in a dark room and it's quiet. You probably are going to go to sleep. Yes, I've, um,
0: I've done that before. Right. My um, yes.
1: so, so instead I just hung out with his wife, uh, for a while, and then he eventually emerged, like, three hours later. I was like... <laughs> He was like, clearly we're not going to the mezcal bar. I'm sorry. And then he went back to bed.
0: (laughs) I've never stood someone up while doing that.
1: (laughs) I mean, I kind of got the sense after about five to ten minutes. He's like, he's probably not coming out, Uh, which I knew what I was getting into anyway. It was fine. It's not a big deal. We'll go. It's not like the place is going to close. We'll go again.
0: Fair enough. Let's uh, let's turn our attention to D.C. United. Now they played their most important game of 2016 so far. On Saturday, and boy, did they ever come through. (laughs) Four to one win over Orlando City, a brace for Patrick Mullins, goals from Lloyd Sam and Julian Buescher, uh, scoring his first MLS league goal. And oh, yeah, three assists for Taylor Kemp, tying a team record. Um,
1: Briefly four, but then ruled back to three.
0: Yeah, we all have Matt Doyle to thank for saying, eh, maybe that third goal wasn't a well, real secondary. I mean, I,
1: w- I feel like this is on Opta. Like, they get to make that choice in the end, right?
0: Yeah, I think he he claimed credit for killing it on, on Twitter.
1: Okay. I mean, uh, I, I was... Uh,
0: I assume he uh, was in a Slack channel or something with their stats people mm. uh, at MLS and at Opta, and he he said, no, there wasn't... That didn't really meet the standard for skill or insight for a pass. It was a pretty basic pass forward to Patrick Niarko, who then mm. did all the work to create yeah. the goal.
1: I, like a, uh, I to get fault. a secondary assist, now you you do have to do more than you, you, Back in the day, Like if you did anything at all, you might get a secondary assist. It was very much like the NHL, um, where just being near the ball was enough. So whatever, four or three assists. I, I don't think Kemp is too bothered. Um, it is just remarkable that we're talking about a guy who had three and actually briefly had four. Yeah. Um, usually you get an assist taken away, it means you have no assists that night.
0: Yes, he had plenty to go around. He was the 1% for an evening. Um, And I guess he didn't share the wealth with anybody and just had it taken away. So that was not a great analogy. Anyway, save me from this, Jason. Talk more about Taylor Kemp, please.
1: Uh, It was interesting to see how far up um, Kemp was able to push in this game, um, especially carrying the ball forward. Um, not just getting into the attack and being the recipient of a pass, but to actually carry the ball into that space, which Orlando gave away a lot. Um, I think Christ made an, a big error by – he, he. it seemed like he's, he was very focused on – like he, he's one of those coaches that's like, this is how we play, we're going to do this every time and let the other team worry about us. Um, yeah, he was dogmatic
0: like that at Salt Lake right. too.
1: He's been like that the whole way, um, and that can come back to bite you, especially in a league like MLS where the – the margins between teams isn't, isn't so great. Um, you really have to be a fine-tuned machine to get away with it, and he's been there for 10 games. Um, United really did the right thing by saying, like, okay, fine, you're going to stay narrow like that uh, all the time, then we're going to push our fullbacks, and you just have to deal with it. Um and so both coaches kind of—both you know, of those things are a gamble, and obviously you saw the game. Uh, if you're listening to this, you probably saw the game. You know how the gambling turned out for, for both sides. Uh, you know, Orlando lost their shirt, and uh, D.C. went home laughing. Um, but a lot of it, you know, Kemp pushing up so high also means that Nearco, by necessity, has to either dip inside to be an available option for Acosta or for Mullins to, to connect on the short-passing game, or he has to push up the wing further. Um, I think the, there was a passing map, um, that, uh, I, I guess it's just the, I shouldn't say there was a passing map. It's the passing map of the game. If you go to MLS's, uh, box score, you can see it, um, where Nierko was making a lot of his passes and Nagel too, when he came in on the left, um, they were both very high up the field, which meant Kevin Alston was always under pressure. Um, Jose Aha was getting pulled out of the middle a little bit to have to deal with things. Um, and it really sort of pulled apart the defensive structure that Orlando wanted to keep, and they weren't able to keep the ball consistently enough. Um, I mean, they ended up with a pretty healthy edge in possession, but it was with the score 3-0, um, this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, it was a very game-state-influenced figure. Um, when the game was up for grabs, that's when DC really put their stamp on it and really forced Orlando to do a lot of things they were uncomfortable with. Um, and Kemp, Kemp being so far up the field helped, but it's still... You know that sets the all of that tactical stuff only sets the stage for winning a game. You still have to execute, and Kemp's crossing uh, was a big factor, and the execution on his crossing was uh, why he got three assists. It wasn't just that he was up there and it happened to happen. It it was because the the stuff he did when he got the chance to do something was really really good.
0: Yeah, and the the parts of he he I think was also a beneficiary. Uh, like if you 're a fullback or if you 're anybody really you 're not getting assists unless something else is going right uh, yes. because it takes a lot more than one pass to create a goal ninety nine times out of a hundred and in this game the the pieces of the roster that had let us down maybe in some of the recent draws came through they all the whole thing was clicking the wingers were all were both I guess all three of them, because Nagel came in and he was locked in as well. they were all fantastic. The central midfield, and we'll talk about them a little bit later, they were strong the entire game, even after Marcelo went down with a knee injury, and we were able to the United were able to keep possession uh and do something with it um and that's one of the things that I think this team does well is they play direct while keeping the ball on the floor now in a way that they never were able right. to in the past because they have numbers in midfield now, and they have pieces that can hold on to the ball in tight spaces or turn and find an outlet and it's it's nice to see and uh, i I, I want to talk about the the first goal that came up because it was I think emblematic of what I'm talking about they got the mm-hmm. ball they got forward they got into the final third and between Acosta and Sam, they each tried an entry pass into the box that got blocked. And then yeah. they, each of them once hustled and recovered the ball and got it to a teammate and started the attack again without recycling it back to our own half or even outside of the attacking third and just kept the pressure on. And then you get Sam's cross across to, um, to Niarko, who backheeled it, his second backheel assist of the year. And really similar circumstances, in fact. That other one was also smashed across the goal uh, and tapped in at the far post. And same thing happened here. And it was,
1: yeah.
0: it, was a, it was a really nice sequence all around, even if not every single... It wasn't like a 37-pass buildup. But it was a very focused, directed attack, which was great.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the... The point about the back pressure, um, to make sure that the, the, the moment didn't go away. Um, because even before the goal, there were a couple other looks, um, that Sam, I think Sam had a miss just before. Um, so they were really knocking on the door and they to have that sense of in an otherwise even half, this is the moment that you can really push and give yourself a great scoring chance if you just yeah. keep it alive. Um, and that's a good thing to see from the whole team. as a team wide thing. Um, it takes coordination because if the center backs start to drop off, like oh that attack didn't work, let's drop off some. Everyone else has to drop off, and all of a sudden you mm-hmm. aren't in position to do this. So, right. um, it, it you know again this they set the table for themselves really well. They created the circumstances in which something good could happen, and they got denied the first time. They got denied the second time, but they just kept knocking at the door until. Uh, Kemp, or well, the ball was coming across, and um, it was kind of funny to watch. Um, when Niarcho didn't dummy the ball on, and he actually opted to stop it, Taylor a Kemp lot of kind people, of flailed. <laughs> well, not only did Taylor Kemp flail, a lot of people in the stands uh, flailed because people saw the the play coming and felt like, oh no, by stopping this ball, um, there's the chance that the ball stopped. All of a sudden, Orlando can recover, and maybe you don't get the chance. Um, fortunately. Uh, one, Neyarko did what Orlando wasn't expecting, which was to backheel it rather than to go back to goal himself, which is what I'm sure that they were thinking when he stopped the look, he's going to go for goal. Um, The other thing is that Orlando defensively inside their own box was so mentally slow Mm -hmm. over and over again um, that this kind of thing happens, Um, that even when the team slows the – like Neyarko slowed the play down and they were still unable to catch up to it. Yeah. Um, which is terrible for them. And it's great to see United, you know, people are going to be tempted to say, Oh, Orlando's given up four goals in their, their previous two games. It's just like when, uh, United beat Chicago and they're like, Oh, it's just Chicago. And they had a guy sent off, uh, all this like, yes, but they did go on and absolutely take advantage of it, which a lot of teams in MLS don't do. Um, obviously Orlando has been finding teams that are taking advantage of it over and over again lately, but <laughs> you still have to go do the job. Um, and you don't want to take anything away from a team that scores four goals in a must-win game. Um, yeah. So um, it was funny though that Kemp, you know, threw his arms up because he was worried that the play wasn't going to happen, and people in the stands had almost the exact same reaction, and I'm sure probably shouted the same words that Kemp would have shouted had he had time to vocalize his thoughts, uh, which we probably won't even get into here.
0: <laughs> uh, no, instead I I want to. I did say that United were very direct in a lot of the game, but at the end, when they finally kind of, after the red card to Antonio Notorino, which we are going to do the kindness of not dwelling on tonight, um, read the comments on Black and Red United if you want to see some, some real thoughts on, on Antonio Notorino. But for that last, uh, the last goal came after a couple very long possession spells for DC United that were broken up by a clearance. And then they, they got back and cycled it around and went up and down the field across the width of it to the point that I was actually shouting Olay's. And I got a couple people around me on the quiet side to shout Olay's. I don't think enough that it was really audible on the field, but it would, it was nice to even yeah. be the one instigating Olay's at RFK again. Um, Cause it's fun to shout Olay when you're, opponents are basically beaten and you're just toying with them. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah,
1: I, I w- it would have been nice to get United to that point a little earlier than that. Um they did after the red card kind of it's not just the goal. I mean, the goal, you know, it was a great free kick. What are you going to do? Um but the the minutes surrounding the goal, Orlando was getting more out of the game than they should have been. Um It wasn't—this wasn't the relaxing, smooth finish to a game that it should be when you are up 3-0 and a guy gets red-carded and Kaká subbed off. Um, You'd think that that's an easy phase of the game, and that might be the stretch of the game where United was at their worst, um, were the the few minutes between the card and the goal. Um, They they, just—they seemed to shut off. They seemed to think, this one's over, we got this. Fortunately, it did seem that they came around um, Orlando also completely ran out of gas. um, Yeah. I think that was part of of it as well. Yeah. Um, and I would like to see that move towards knocking the ball around and really just having easy possession and making the other team chase. I'd like to see that happen sooner. Um, but you know, it's a four, one win over a team that was tied with us in the standings. It's hard to complain too much. It's just, you do have to keep your feet on the ground a little bit. Um, and remember that, you know, this wasn't a perfect performance. It was just, it was good and it was fun, but there are things that still need work.
0: So let's talk about the attack more broadly. Um, Some skeptics seem to be coming around on the idea that DC United is actually fun to watch again. And they have been since, you know, late July ever since they acquired Patrick Mullins and switched to this, this new four, one, four, one, four, three, three, whatever you want to call it. They've been attack first and they have gotten softer defensively which is fun to watch if you're a neutral um and they've gotten into some shootouts in a way that we never would have thought at the beginning of the year but it's not just their like it's to the point that they are since you know the summer they've been the best attacking team in MLS and I think you have the numbers to back it up Jason
1: Yeah um I mean we're recording this Monday so this will go up there'll be a post about this before Possibly before you listen to it, um, but uh, maybe you can listen to this while reading it. If you if you can go all in on Black and Red United content, um, I people have been to, you know the DC United put up a post uh, about how they had scored the most goals over a stretch of time. Um, MLS Soccer mentioned it as well. Uh, I looked through. I wanted to see the numbers for myself, so I looked through every single team since August first, um, and not just goals scored, goals against, but also games played so I could get goals per game um, to, you know, just to measure it on a – give everyone a fair chance because there are teams that have only played seven games in that stretch while L.A. played ten. So it's good to to have some sort of uh, leveling factor. It doesn't – it didn't matter for D.C. United. Um, They have 23 goals since August 1st uh chicago and la are second in that in that stat with 18 Um, and how many games
0: has dc played
1: dc's played nine chicago's played nine la's played 10 um and so the goals per the uh, goals for per game for dc is 2.56 whereas (laughs) um chicago is at two la is at 1.8 um i'm trying to find where i wrote this down um the second highest goals per game is Seattle with 17 and eight. So they're at 2.13. Um, and they've got Lodero who has been basically good for a goal or assist every single appearance he's had. Um, he's the guy that was keeping Lucho Acosta on the bench at Boca Juniors. That's why they were willing to loan him out last year and loan him to DC this year. So, um, we should be at least sort of, uh, happy that Lodero is a guy. Um, and happy that we got in before he, uh, he, he left because they might have been like, maybe we'll just stick with what we got. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's been – the games lately for DC have been kind of nuts. I mean, the goals against figure is, is higher than you would want. It's it's uh, one and two-thirds per game against. So DC has been in a lot of high-scoring games lately. Um, they've become a team – if Kevin McCauley was still doing his um, – uh, Power rankings of teams worth watching on MLS Live. I feel like DC would be much higher up than they were the because li- Kevin ran that for a little while, um, and, yeah. And like- uh, DC was down near the bottom or at the bottom every single week, which early in the season was hard to argue with. I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't have listed DC as last, but I would have kept them in the bottom three. Certainly, um, recently though, the games have been. If, you can't say they've been completely elegant or, uh, brilliant or anything like that, but you have to say that they've been positive and they've been fun to watch. Um, if you're saying at this point that DC is a, still a conservative, boring team, uh, I'd like to present you the San Jose Earthquakes numbers, uh, from this same period. (laughs) In eight games since August 1st, San Jose has scored five goals and has conceded eight. (laughs) So in, in eight games, there have been 13 goals scored in the Earthquakes games, which makes them... Uh, their their goals for is the lowest, and their goals against is the highest, uh, or is the best. So I'm pretty sure defensive. there was a
0: I'm pretty sure there was a two game spell for DC United that they outdid that goal total.
1: Uh, yes, Chicago I mean, and New
0: York City games combined yeah. more goals than that. Yes, <laughs> or um, the same number, thirteen goals over two right. games.
1: So so if people and, and it's not just San Jose. I mean, Vancouver scored seven and eight. Uh, Montreal has seven and nine, and they they've got Piatti and Drogba. which um, were the
0: numbers DC United were turning in earlier in the season. Yeah, this, that's how how much they've changed, both tactically yeah. and by personnel. A few a few pickups mid season, um, and a tactical shift. And this is yeah, this is a team that has a lot of the same people, and otherwise is completely different.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and you know you have to be honest that. Um, there is a, a real real undeniable shift in risk taking with DC United and that's where the entertainment in soccer is always going to come from. Even even with teams that are direct but attack minded and that's where DC really is. They're not um, they're not playing tiki taka They're playing a high velocity sort of game. They're trying to get up the field quickly. Um it's no longer as much of a long ball to Mullins and knocks he knocks it down and somebody runs onto it. It's not Route One. Um but it is a direct, high tempo kind of game now, which is something they they weren't they didn't want. They, it's not just that they weren't doing it; they also didn't want that to happen in games. Um, they wanted to keep the tempo kind of slow because that kept games, you know, low scoring at both ends, which is what the object was before. Um, now United, because of the boost in talent, is willing to open up because they say, you know what, maybe we can get into a game where we concede a goal or two and we still can win. Um, whereas before it was like, yeah, if we score, if we concede two, the best outcome is going to be a two, two draw. And that's unlikely. Like it's, it's yeah. keep a shutout give up one or don't get any points. Right. Um, and things have changed now.
0: Yeah. It's almost now to the point where we need three goals to secure a win. Um, luckily they didn't need all three goals on, uh, on Saturday, but they got them and then some, uh, and, and thankfully it also didn't require the the stoppage time goal to do it even though they still scored a late one uh they it wasn't it was to pad the margin not to to you know to add to
1: to add to that i i've been keeping track of the stoppage time goals all year second half stoppage time it doesn't indicate anything it's just a fun stat it it, i mean i guess it indicates maybe you know dramatic games and or fitness but i don't know i don't think you can read much into it it's just kind of a goofy thing to keep track of uh by scoring in the ninetieth minute uh Buescher gave d c the lead of they had the most ninetieth minute and later goals of the season with eight um breaking a tie with orlando who came in with with seven <laughs> as well um so, so that's been pretty fun um to to keep track of and lately obviously is where those we know where those goals happen it's all late uh, recently for the most part um and that doesn't even get the burn bomb uh, opening goal at Red Bull Arena, which was too early. It was the 89th minute, so it didn't even count towards that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's been... The, the team, it, you can't say that they're anything but interesting to watch. I mean, I still don't know if they're actually truly a good team compared to their peers because of the defensive issues, but they're making progress, certainly, and it's certainly... Um, the results haven't gotten any worse. Um, the results have improved, I would say, and and... You know, it's maybe a sign of the future that this is where the team is going. And even if this year, like, let's say they don't make the playoffs. Let's say um, things go wrong in the next few games and they miss out just barely. I think ending the season on this kind of note will go over a lot better than it would have been finishing seventh and being the team that has, like, 35 goals for the entire season. Um, It's going to change, I think, that I would hope it changes the tone within the fan base. And people are starting to come around, I think. Um, There's not the... I don't think people are overly confident in D.C. United right now in the fan base, but I do think they're at least not so much complaining about the style of play anymore because it's kind of hard to do so. I mean, on the road, they're still looking to grind games out, but that's pretty much an MLS thing. Like, almost every team in the league is doing that.
0: Yeah, I, I would like to see that change. and uh, just Yeah, because but that's, the results that's always the in... last step yeah just because the results have been better when they they open up a little more and i'd like to see if that works on the road uh you mentioned taking risks though and ben olsen did that on saturday in midfield marcelo sarvas went down with a what turned out to be a mild mcl sprain he's out i think four to six weeks with that Two, two to four or two to four weeks even better Yeah. so he he could be back for the nycfc game after the international break um But he he might not be back till the playoffs. So it's it's tough to say. But he should be back, you know, before – hopefully before United are done playing soccer this year. Um, But when he went down, Ben Olsen had a a couple options. He could move Nick DeLeon from right fullback, which we'll talk about in a minute, into the central midfield where he spent most of this year. Or he could bring in the rookie, Julian Buescher, who – has not been the most defensively sound midfielder in the team against the Red Bulls. When he came in, the, the midfield just became a sieve and that's when Bill Hamid had to stand on his head was after mm-hmm. Buescher came in. So he's had, he's had some issues. He's been uh, promising and a, a good prospect on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, he he hadn't quite put it together. And, he Olsen went with Buescher in this one and was rewarded for it because Buescher was, was pretty solid. He got a yellow card after he turned the ball over in midfield and then smartly made the only play he could, which was stopping the counter attack that came from it. Got a yellow, absolutely deserved Stoika. Remembered he could do that after he forgot when Antonio Notorino <laughs> did it to Lucha Acosta earlier in the game. It was unbelievable, that no-call. Yeah. Uh, Notorino made it easy for him later, of course, elbowing Patrick Mullins in the chest. Well, I
1: mean, he, we still had the second time Stoika also... yes saw no commit an obvious yellow and just be like, "Ah, oh, I'm just going to give you the, the gesture. The, yeah, no, the was, no more. Somehow gesture he gave him the
0: no more gesture twice in one game. I don't think I've ever seen that yes. in professional soccer is a referee. I mean, giving in, the in same a, player kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, that's the thing I thought of. I was like, this is like watching a champions league referee um, who just doesn't, he didn't remember like this. Is, yeah. is this a different guy is a different guy. The, the only italian the only heavily bearded man on the field and yet you he also wears a number. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I feel so, like he if you're might listening, have players somehow, have numbers. He might have somehow confused Notarino and uh Kevin Alston because he gave Alston a an, a an accumulation yellow, essentially a persistent infringement yellow after that. And Alston, he fouled some in the game, but I didn't feel right. like he was he one didn't of the have main offenders. the f- I
1: think it was five fouls that Notarino had. Yeah.
0: Um, it but was, anyway, yeah, but yeah. but ben Olsen went with Buescher, uh, which was a gamble in this, and it and it paid off for this one. And um, I'm curious what you want to see Wednesday in the midfield.
1: Um, I think against the Crew, um, I think United's better to just keep this front foot way of doing things in place because Columbus's defense has been poor all year long. It's a major reason why they've struggled so much is that they just haven't. They haven't been able to keep teams off the board, and they haven't been good enough in possession to hide their defense, um, which is something they were much better at last year. Um, last year, they would spread teams out and force them to play deep so much their defense wasn't really tested. Um, this year, they just it hasn't worked. They've been tested too often, and um, a lot of individual players are having bad season in, in Columbus. So I would say to, to stick with it, um, of course, it, it – it, in a way it helps because the options are so limited. Um, It really is leave Buescher in there uh, and go for it or move Leon up, bring Luke Michoud back in at right back or play Jalen Robinson there or whatever. But um, I think Olsen's post-game comments kind of pointed to an interest in looking into what DeLeon is going to be able to do as a right back um, for the time being. Uh, You know, if Sean Franklin comes back in training uh, tomorrow, then sure, you put Franklin in and then that changes the conversation a little bit. But um, right now for this game, uh, since we're leaving the TFC game for the, the next show, um, yeah, I think Bucher should get another shot. I think United should look to go out and tell Columbus, like, you're going to have to defend. This, this, front, this four-man midfield, uh, this attacking midfield and Mullins, you're going to have to deal with them. And if you can, so be it. Um, because I think the crew will struggle with that. I think the crew right now are better against teams that are going to sag back a little bit and um give them that chance to play themselves into the game mm-hmm. and United at r f k at least is not interested in in doing that. They are looking to go out and chase teams down and make make their lives miserable um, yeah that would explain the why ball. the
0: crew that would explain why the crew have kind of owned New England this year. Because New England mm-hmm. is, as possession-oriented as they can be, they are not a team that's going to press you or even counter-press you all that much. Um, yeah, every are, once in a while. That, but, stretches,
1: Right, and, you know, right now they've changed to the, that, um, well, they had a diamond and then they played a Christmas tree for a game. Um, right. But, yeah, uh, I think United's best. It, we talked earlier about how Jason Christ should have made a tactical switch to deal with United rather than saying this is the way we do it and that's that. Um, in this case, like, that's not always how it should be. In this case, I think United should say, let's let's leave Columbus with something to worry about for us rather than trying to readjust to, to a different opponent. I think Columbus, even though Columbus plays differently than Orlando, I think they're going to be very, very vulnerable to a more attack-minded United. Um, and I think you have to roll the dice with Bucher in central midfield with Acosta. I think you have to take that chance, especially... We're talking about you know not to spoil the next segment, but Iguain is out. Um, They've been missing some guys centrally, so you're not having to worry as much defending through the middle. So I think all of that adds up to me to say, give Buescher another chance, give him the start with Acosta, and um, you know go out and go after it, go be go be the team that they've been lately at RFK, which is the team that's been scoring a ton of goals and uh, giving us a lot of fun. If also. Um, forcing us to have to uh, throw our clothes in the wash immediately after we get home because they are <laughs> covered in beer.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about Rob Vincent, but I, I'm going to save it for the next segment because I think your point about Iguain being out um, helps the case for for keeping the midfield exactly as it is. With I think Rob Vincent at this point he's the only option to play the number six, but it works out well that there's no Iguain, there's no Pippa to worry about in this one. Um, last Pippa thing, or this, Pippa. Pippa.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Pippa Middleton does not play for the Columbus crew.
0: Are you sure?
1: I'm pretty sure. Okay. I'm not 100%.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nick DeLeon played fullback in this one, and he's you know shifted there at times of emergency in the past from, from right midfield or even from central midfield. But this was his first start at the position as a professional. And if you listen to the words he said afterward, they it seemed like he kind of enjoyed it. He he liked uh, being on the outside again. It sounds like as as much as his skill set does lend itself to central midfield, uh, he likes the having the game basically on one side of him and having the sideline there next to him. And he liked defending in this one. And I thought his one-on-one defending was as good as I've ever seen it in this one. And when he's been one-on-one in the past, he hasn't always um, excelled defending the ball 1v1. But in this game he he forced cutbacks and uh passes back rather than allowing crosses or dribbles into the box. And that's really all you can ask when your fullback is 1v1 on an island against a winger. So uh kudos to to nicky for this one. He also got forward and this is the thing I think that where he fits right back better than Luke Mishu or anyone else uh in deputizing for Sean Franklin. Is he plays the most like Sean Franklin because Sean Franklin plays fullback almost like a midfielder, uh, at least going forward. He underlaps the winger sometimes rather mm-hmm. than exclusively overlapping. And Nick DeLeon did that and got a shot off in the third yeah. minute because of it. Um, he likes to combine. He likes to and a play shot with that his... if, it,
1: if it didn't get deflected, probably goes in. Yeah, um, because he he definitely kept that within the frame of the goal and hit hit the ball extremely hard. So the hell if Bendick makes that save, then good for him. I don't I don't know that he was going to get to it.
0: Yeah. Uh it looked like it was going to destined to be Nick's second goal of the year, but uh a, a defender got in the way. But it was a good start to the game for him and he he generally kept it going got sucked forward on defense a couple of times doing a couple uh, one time in particular, chasing a, a player and the ball when he should have been getting back into position and keeping the team shape. Uh, luckily, United weren't punished for it, and he seemed to learn from the mistake and and you know didn't do it again, which was nice. He's he's learning the position quickly, which seems to be a theme for Nick DeLeon. You put him somewhere, and he he takes a game or two uh, of decent performance to figure it out, and then he's set. He's solid. So yeah, good, I mean it, it'll be
1: a different. It'll be a different test this week because Columbus sticks their wingers wide. They're more willing to do that than I don't I have no idea why Orlando didn't at least try Kaká left of center at the start. Yeah, I was actually but a little bit afraid
0: that <laughs> they were going to bring in Shea and just have him run at De Leon uh yeah, in the second um, half after De Leon, you know, started to tire a little bit. And right. luckily they they didn't um United might have been a little well, fortuitous about a couple a of injuries bit. where where yeah. they force where Orlando was forced to use subs on mm-hmm. Kaká and I don't know if Laren was hurt or not, but I, yeah,
1: I think I think the Laren sub was a we're clearly not getting anything out of this game. Let's get him out so he can play the next week. The Kaká yeah, thing, he he did stick his hand up um, to the bench. Um, I in watching the red card replay, it actually happens. Uh, Right as that goes on, Kaká sticks his hand up and looks at the bench, and he's like, you know, he signals that he needs to come out. I didn't see anything wrong with him. Um, he might have been hiding it well. Um, he may have just felt a twinge and said, you know, we're losing 3 nothing. He's been around long enough where he said, say, look, we're losing 3 nothing. This could turn into a full-blown thing. Um, we'll see on Wednesday night, after, you know, most likely after people get home from RFK, because I assume they'll be at RFK and not watching the Orlando game. Um, yes. But yeah, um, we'll see what that was and if it was a real thing. If, if it's a real thing, then they've got even bigger problems because Shea really works well as a attacking sub like you're talking about um, because he's so direct and is such a contrast to the way that the rest of Orlando's players play in the midfield. But if Kaká is out... Uh, you know, it's, it's a nice change-up to have to go athletic when you right, you go from being a short, pos- short uh, possession game kind of team to super athletic all of a sudden. But when teams see that from the start, from the start they know what they're getting and they're not surprised by it. Um, so it, it doesn't just mean a lesser player. It also leaves Orlando with less of a tactical changeup that they can throw at TFC um, Wednesday. Hopefully TFC decides to go all in on that game. Yes, um, that'd be nice. And rotates on on Saturday. That would be great. Uh, help us, uh, Greg Banny, if you're listening.
0: Yeah, and think of your old friends. Yeah, one more one more shout out to Kaká because before we we take a quick break and and that's because Kaká was really he he we didn't see a lot of him in this game, which is a testament to United's midfield and defense. But the two times he did pop up with the ball in the box, Orlando came really close to scoring. Uh, the first one he. Leon stood up the winger, and then, uh, who was it? Molino, I guess, uh, put the ball inside to Kaká, who just juked Marcelo out of his shoes, sent Marcelo running Mm -hmm. almost 180 degrees the wrong way, (laughs) and then just got into space and crossed it behind the defense. Kyle Aaron couldn't quite get to it, thankfully, because he was at point-blank range, and on an expected goals chart, that's a very big square that's very close to worth one goal. The second time, they hit the crossbar. Yes. So um, Kaká was responsible for Orlando's two actual moments of danger in the entire game. Yeah.
1: At, so those, outside of... I, I will say that um, set-piece defending for United wasn't very good either. Um, Jose Aha finished with five shot attempts in this game. Um, if you look at the box score, you see everyone else for Orlando that took a shot only had their one attempt. No one has more than one except for center-back Jose Aha with five um, one of those was from like 40 yards, so you can mm-hmm. throw that one out, but, um, he did get free and win headers from Matias Perez Garcia's set piece delivery four times and he wasted it. And some of those were, you know, a United player's beaten to the ball, but not beaten so cleanly that a could do what he wanted, but it's still not great to see anyone from the other team that isn't a center forward getting five shots. It means that there's something that needs to be sorted out. Um, and that's something United will have to look at because, we've seen this team have phases of the season where they couldn't defend a set piece to save their lives. And that coming back right now could derail everything. Um, yeah. If they become a team that dominates and yet is vulnerable in set pieces and ends up with draws where they should have been wins, they they'll be outside looking in, in the end of this.
0: All right. Hopefully that won't happen. And we'll talk about the Columbus crew a little bit more when we come back. Stick around. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me.
1: Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh,
0: I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Welcome back. It's Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. And DC United on Wednesday night will go for their first back to back wins of 2016. I know it's been a long time. Hopefully, we will talk about it one more time uh, when we have our second episode later this week. And that will be the end of it. Um, Otherwise, we'll be talking about something else and have to mention this. Again in the future. Uh they will be hosting uh, like I said earlier, surprisingly resurgent Columbus crew SC, who've won their last two by a combined score of six to one. Jason, what's going right for the crew right now? Cause they we we had all left them for dead. Mm-hmm. And now suddenly they are within two points of Orlando City.
1: Yeah, it's it's strange. I mean we we've been making the joke that no one wanted that six playoff spot for a long time. Um, And it seems like everyone finally decided, yes, I do want that spot at the same moment. Um, You know, the revs changing formation and suddenly being not so terrible. Um, Well, I I shouldn't say everyone wants it because clearly Montreal is doing their best to throw away all of it. Um, But that's their problem. Quebec is different from the rest of the world. Um, But no, Columbus, uh, I think a major thing that they've done is... They found Will Trap has been out for a little while with um, what the crew are calling a head injury, but is a concussion. Um, and he's had concussions before, which is probably why they don't want to call it that. But I watched the game where he got collided with and he woke, he got up and he was woozy and needed to be helped off the field. Um, sometimes you can't always tell a concussion from video, but sometimes you can. Um, yeah. But for a while, they didn't really have a replacement for him. Um, they use Mohamed Saeed there, but he is more comfortable further up the field. Uh, Tony Chani is very much a ball winner. He, he roves around. He doesn't really play the trap role where he's deep, and he's sort of a deep-line playmaker. Um, the funny thing is, they a guy they brought in to be a defender, uh, Nikolai Ness, uh, has turned out to be a pretty decent replacement for Trap. He doesn't have Trap's passing range, um, but he does set a tempo and he does hold that central position in, uh, their four-two-three-one, And that has, that has been a factor. They've also just gotten, they've gotten Gaston Sauro back. Um, he was injured for a while with a, a knee problem, but he's back now. Um, Ola Kamara has kept scoring. He's actually, um, in goals per 90. I think Matt Doyle wrote this earlier today or yesterday that, you know, it was earlier today, um, that, uh, the only player with more goals per 90 since Mullins joined DC is Ola Kamara. Um, and that includes, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips being virtually unstoppable and Juan Agudelo suddenly uh, bursting into form. Um, so those things have helped Justin Miram And, and um, I was about to say Robbie Finley, which is definitely not the right thing. <laughs> um, Ethan Finley um, have gotten back. They aren't quite in the form they were last year where they, where they were, on the score sheet every week, one of those guys, but they are much better right now than they have been for most of, most of the year. They were anonymous. Merrim was doing his best. Um, Finley just could not get anything going, but recently they've both had an uptick in goals and assists. Um, Merrim actually got to spend a game as a number 10, which he seemed to thrive in, but it was against Orlando who uh-huh. didn't even have no Torino to hold, uh, hold in the midfield. So it was a open season basically on through balls. Um,
0: and boy they, they, did he they, hit they, them! There were a couple of two yeah. v the keeper <laughs> goals yeah, they game had could in have, that one.
1: That game could have been like seven or eight to one, and I'm not even not even kidding. Like the, these weren't like minor chances that you're like, well, maybe that goes and maybe it doesn't. These were breakaways. Um, these were old school MLS shootout kind of chances. Yeah. Um, so so good for Joe Bendick, I guess that uh, he he earned that save of the week vote. Um, but yeah, Co- Columbus has sort of. I want to say almost the pressure being off of them a little bit because they've been left for dead for so long. They were yeah. left with Houston and the Chicago Fire. It was like these three teams every year in MLS there are three teams that are clearly the worst and for most of the season it looked like Columbus was one of those teams that belonged in that group of three. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is that all three of those teams, this year there's no real like bottom tier because not of a or doormat at least, this year yeah, la- lately at least like there was a while where you play the fire, you really should beat them. Um, but lately there's been a lot of not good, but no one that's outright bad. And Columbus has jumped up that tier. Um, they're still not a good soccer team, but they've been better lately. And there's, they're a threat They They are, I would say in the current form, more of a threat than Orlando was. The game was, the Orlando game was more important to DC United, but I think of the two coming in or uh, Columbus is definitely in, in better form.
0: Yeah, and it will be a bigger test also because of the injuries that we, we now have that mm-hmm. we weren't necessarily facing as many of them against Orlando. Looking back the, at the crew, though, what was going wrong for them? Why were they in the cellar? Uh,
1: it's kind of one of the, it's almost like a when it rains, it pours situation there. I, the big headlines obviously came with the rift between Kai Kamara and Federico Liguain, Um and that you know, it's one of those situations where sometimes you just have two players who don't like each other or don't get along or whatever, but that seemed to reveal a not so much a rift in the locker room where there were, like, people taking sides. It was more like the whole locker room was unhealthy. Um, and it wasn't so much that people were fighting. It was just that people weren't fighting for one another as much as you tend to see in MLS. Um, and it seems to have – that seems to have cleared up. I think Greg Berhalter needed some time to – uh, get everyone on the same page, um, in the off field, you know, the intangible team building kind of stuff. Um, but there seems to be a more positive vibe there. Um, another problem, Iguain has been ineffective this year. Um, he's injured, he's, or he's been injured for a little while now. Um, they keep listing him as questionable, but he keeps not even making the 18. Um, so I think they've kind of played their card as far as like, oh, no, he's he could play this weekend. I think it's clear that there's a problem there. that They don't even want to specify. They say it's an abdominal soreness or something like that. Like they're, right. they're very non-specific. It sounds like it's
0: potentially complications with a hernia surgery.
1: It, it could be that. It could be a hip thing. It could be a made-up injury where, you know, something else is wrong and they don't want to say it. Right. Um, because the injury report is not obligatory. You don't have to be honest about it. Um, if you can successfully hide an injury from the press, then no one's ever going to find out what the problem is. As um, Ben
0: Olsen knows very, very well.
1: Olsen and a few and a few managers around the league, especially mm-hmm. guys who have coached abroad, they're like, why do I have to tell anyone what's wrong with my players? That's crazy. I'd never do that. Um, so that's, you know, Iguain's form has been a big problem. Everyone know, that has watched the crew in recent years knows how important he is um trap has missed chunks of the season with now two different concussions um but a lot of it has just been last year they sort of caught lightning in a bottle everyone hit their ceiling at the same time um and this year that isn't happening um and sometimes a lot of times in mls that's as important as that's what gets you a trophy i mean to use DC as an example, DC's last MLS Cup came from everyone hitting form at the same time as Christian Gomez showed up. Everything fell into place yeah. all at once. They were a playoff caliber team, but probably not at the top of MLS Cup contender lists until all of a sudden everyone everything fell into place. And that's what happened with Columbus last year. Um, Steve Clark hasn't been as good. Last year, you could have put him on not at the top of a goalkeeper of the year ballot, but you would have at least looked at his name and been like, I should think about this. Um, at least maybe top three. Um, this year he has been clearly outside of the top ten, um, like indisputably. Michael Parkhurst hasn't been very good for most of the year. Left back has been a revolving door. So it's a lot of individual problems where it's not like this is this is the big problem. It's a bunch of, well, that's a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. And you end up with a team that is sitting on, what does is, what is the crew have? They have 32 now? Yeah, 32, 32. points. So up until very up until this weekend, they didn't even have thirty points yet. Um, yeah, and playing in yeah, the, it, in this year's East, um, right? So that's and not good.
0: The way this year's East is as bad as the crew have been. If they manage to get a win at RFK Stadium, they will be within two points of DC United. Yeah, and that uh, is a weird, scary prospect.
1: That's that's MLS. I mean, it's just like as much as Montreal has seemed like they've been mostly good. It's much, mostly much better than DC all year long. Right now, look at the standings, look at Montreal, look at D.C., and look how close they are. Um, And it's not like United has been winning games constantly lately. They've got five draws, three wins, and a loss in nine games. They haven't been racking up points. Um, They aren't giving points away, but they aren't racking them up. And yet, all of a sudden, they're back in the playoff chase. Um, Because this year's East... there was a while where it looked like there were five good teams and everyone else was sort of fighting it out... And now it's like, okay, there's three good teams, and everyone else is uh Philly's kind of in the middle. Philly's not gonna miss the playoffs by any right. means, but you're like eh, they they're, they're really going just on there. kind of there
0: they're kind of like sporting Kansas City who are just kind of there in the west
1: except except Jim Curtin is not nearly as um comically villainous as Peter Hermes. people should true. really look up some of the gifts from his his uh his performance as a human uh, in their game from the weekend, where he was just screaming like like all the muscles in his neck were about to burst. Yeah, he, uh, he
0: had a lot of very strong emotions, or one very strong emotion over and over yes. again.
1: <laughs> and the the rest of the Kansas City bench looking at him like, "Do I need to move? Is this guy gonna like explode?" Well, the best in the flame one was when or? he
0: he he did the closest thing to uh, the pillow scream from. <laughs> From Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. and he, he just leaned down, put his hands, put his head between his hands with his fingers splayed, and just, it looked like screamed at the ground, and nobody, yes. like, it was as if he were a ghost. <laughs> Everyone on the bench is right. just, like, looking around. They didn't interrupt their conversation or whatever else they right. were doing. I think they knew, really,
1: they knew that they couldn't break the, like, if I acknowledge that this is happening, he's going to turn on me, so I can't do that. Right. Um, so I just have to carry on, and we'll all just we'll all pretend like this isn't happening, and he'll carry on in his own little world where he is just a, a six foot two uh, rage man, um, just screaming constantly and, and unable to articulate his feelings beyond outrage.
0: For the record, this was in a win <laughs> for Sporting yeah, Kansas City. They
1: won. That, they, won that game. <laughs> they won that game.
0: That's um, the best part of this whole thing. Uh, uh, let's go. Let's go back to the crew. Go yeah, go ahead. Um, we know that Pipa Igwayin is out for this one, or is very likely to miss this one, and they've had a kind of a revolving door, and you named a lot of the people who have stepped in to that number 10 spot. Uh, over the weekend, it was Tony Chani, who may or may not receive a call from the MLS Disciplinary Committee. Uh, may- Ola Kamara also may or may not <laughs> yeah. receive a call. Ola Kamara's was more comical. Um, he, he took a foul that... Uh, Scotty Caldwell for New England got a yellow card for and then waited till the final whistle and made sure he was within kicking distance of Caldwell and proceeded to just kick him for no reason uh the ball was there so he had he had a little bit of cover but exactly at the final whistle he just kicked Scotty Caldwell uh and kicked him pretty hard luckily Dilly Duca was there and just bear hugged (laughs) just grabbed Caldwell and just hugged him and said dude you don't want to kill him you will miss your next game and (laughs) and Caldwell seemed to be it's like yeah you're right
1: i think but, i think but, those two were on a u.s youth team together at some point okay um, so i think it sometimes it helps to have people you know playing on the other team because they they might be able to be like all right let's put the game aside for a second and just think of your best interests um as a human
0: yeah turning back to the question i want to ask though who's going to play the number 10 spot for columbus and the the guy they will be lining up against and i previewed this earlier will be rob vincent sitting in that number six spot for dc united i don't have a read really on how he plays the game defensively on the offensive side he's got a great passing range and Mm -hmm. he likes to make the late run up to the 18 where he's just got a fantastic long range shot um and and this is the position where you get an mls you get time if you're the number six and Kyle Beckerman has made a career out of these goals. You get time at the top of the box to unleash a long range blast. And Mm -hmm. in USL, that space is there. If you cut inside from the wing, which is where Rob Vincent, you know, led the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. I think led USL in goals last year,
1: goals last year.
0: Yeah. Doing basically that. And now he's finding that space and getting a couple shots off from, from the top of the box. So, on offense, I know what he wants to do. On defense, I'm not sure, and I'm curious how the different options for Columbus uh, will test him.
1: Yeah, it's it's very hard to say what Columbus is going to do, especially with Chani's status. I, I feel like by the time this comes out, that'll be clarified whether he's going to get a call or not. Um, but right now, on Monday night, we don't know, um, and all of the players they have that they could play there are different. Um, if they play Chani there, it's more of a. Um, I made this comparison in our uh, our own little Slack room that we have for the the blog. Um, it's like the Jermaine Jones treatment in mm-hmm. Colo- in Colorado, um, where you want to let loose his athletic qualities, his ability to hunt the ball and pressure, and he becomes sort of a, a battering ram. Despite it, you know, you're not looking for him to create pass it through passing. It's almost just like the chaos he can create. Um, with him without the ball becomes an asset. Um, defensive midfielders are generally not used to dealing with someone who is much more physically athletic than them, physically stronger and larger than them. Um, if you look around the league at number tens, you see guys like Acosta and Moro Diaz. Um, you yep. don't see a guy built like Tony Chani playing in that role, and so it it throws teams a curveball. Um, mm-hmm. But they could also play—I mean, last year against Columbus in the 5 nothing loss, uh, Mohamed Saeed played up there yeah. and actually played really well. But what he did, he's not so much a creator either. He just made sure that he was always available and always played one and two touch. He just always kept the ball moving. And so the ball was coming into the middle and then moving out real quick. Um, so that's how he would approach that. Uh, Justin Merrim l- loves to look for the killer ball or go to goal himself. Um he He's very right-footed, which on the left wing means he's always looking to cut in on into his right. Um, in central midfield, obviously, he doesn't have to worry about the cutting in, but it does take that. It it weirdly makes him a little more predictable um, because he doesn't have that cut in. You, where you know the cutting is coming, you just don't know when. Um, when he's already inside, that, that element is gone. Um, who else could they use there? Um, it's it, the thing is, it's a lot of players could could slide in. I mean, like we said, Iguain is still questionable. He could just materialize and be yeah, ready to that's go. That's true. He could um, be in there. Dilly Duca, when they signed him, he played um, there for Chani what, in the second half. Right, and, and when they signed him, once they got him, because he'd been he went to Europe uh, after last season looking for clubs and just didn't find anything that he would accept, and was out of you know he was out of work. He was a free agent for a while. And that's how he ended up coming back and ending up with the crew. Once they got him up to speed, he actually deputized for Higuain in, like, a midweek game a couple times. Um, and he's more of a dribbler. Um, not so much of a creative passer as much as he uses his dribbling ability to sort of give himself the window to then hit a pass. He, he needs he needs to make the room with his dribbling to make the pass. Um, the pass isn't going to come by itself. Um So they've got a lot of different players they can plug in there that all have a flaw and an asset. You know, Duca isn't really going to help defend um, very much. He's not really going to be involved on that side of the ball as much. Um, So they've all got a strength and a weakness, and I feel like United really has... uh, They've got to be prepared for all of it. Um, As far as Vincent goes, I think... um, His defensive approach uh, is still going to need some work because I think he still reacts a little slowly. Um, He doesn't diagnose plays as early as you would like. Um, But, you know, we have to keep in mind he's played how many games as a number six in MLS at at this level of of play in his career. He's got, you know, under 10. Um, So he's still learning um, the speed of play. He knows the position, and clearly he does because he went to Olsen and said, look, maybe I'm going to be better for this team in the middle. Um, and he has been more effective as a central yeah, player than he was on the absolutely. wing. way. Um, but he's still got to catch up to the speed of play a little bit. And and um, that might lead Burhalter to think I should take a chance with Duca or Merum in that role rather than play Chani. Um, because I feel like Vincent might be better suited to what Chani is going to do. Um, but we, you know, like I said, we still could see Saeed there. And Saeed's whole thing is the ball is always moving to him and then away real quick. He doesn't want to keep it. It's all one and two touch. Um, and it's not necessarily threatening from him. It's threatening from others. Um, so burhalter has got a tough choice to make because all of those players bring something good and bad. Um, United's choices are fairly simple because there's no one else left. Yes. Um, we kind of <laughs> know.
0: We have a yeah. good idea who the starters are going to be for United. Um, That's not necessarily so, the case for Columbus.
1: So th- they just really need to prep um, for the variety of looks we could see. Um, and actually, now that I think about it, there it, it goes even further because they've also used uh, Adam John in that spot briefly. Um, they didn't use... It wasn't for long. It was a couple of weeks ago, but he was definitely playing as a number 10. Um, and he is a target man. Um, he is a San Jose yeah, Earthquake the target on, man.
0: You can't, we're not a video podcast, yes. so our listeners cannot see the <laughs> complete... Yes. Baffled Adam, look on my face.
1: Adam definitely is having trouble getting that information into his brain. It is, um, yeah, it, it his brain fit. is fighting back. Um,
0: there, yes. It's rejecting the transplant.
1: But the, the weird thing is that John actually spent some time playing there in San Jose. Even in the four-four-two, they would sometimes, when they were short on central midfielders, send him out in central midfield. And partially because the Quakes don't care whatsoever about aesthetics. So um, his ability to keep the ball is almost not important as much as it is to win the ball from others. Um, it's like I don't you have think, pillow feet. Why don't you uh, use them in central midfield? Right. Um, I don't think John is on the on the table to play as a attacking midfielder, especially if Kamara if Kamara gets the call from the disciplinary committee. John is going to be up front, um, right. and he is a very different player from Ola Kamara. Um, which just there's a lot of variables. If you're not picking up on it yet with the crew, there's yeah. a lot that could change, especially they played Sunday night and they've got to play Wednesday. So that just throws one more wrinkle into it.
0: Yeah. So what do, what is it the crew, what is it that really defines them as, as a team a few years ago, it was getting their fullbacks forward at a kind of an insane rate and just putting them into the attacking half and letting them combine and send in crosses. Um, Last year, it was playing out of the back to an insane degree to the point mm-hmm. that it lost the MLS Cup in the second minute or first minute of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Steve Clark just lost his damn mind and let Diego Valeri literally tackle the ball into the net. Yes. From inside the six. It wasn't like a clearance that he blocked at the 18. It was inside the six-yard box. Um, so what is it that defines what the crew will do, no matter who they put it out in the number 10 spot, no matter who's playing up top for them, what is it that they're going to do?
1: I mean, Burhalter has pretty much stuck to his guns. Um, he wants his team to be um, playing out of the back. He wants his team to keep possession. Uh, they Home and away, they want to have the edge there. Um, he would like to be able to spread uh, his center backs out to the wings and push the fullbacks forward. Um, and really make teams defend the entire width of the field. Um, right he to that like- end,
0: and when Trap yep. was there, he would do this. And and Ness now mm-hmm. will drop in between the fullbacks. And yes. it's to the point that our our colleagues at Massive Report um, they use the offensive phase to define the formation rather than the, yes. the defensive phase, which is what you and I use for shorthand when right. we refer to a formation. We are talking about the defensive phase of the game. They refer to the offensive phase, and they call it a 3-4-3 or a 3-5-2 because right. Ethan Finley gets so high uh, yeah. that you can call him a second forward. So that three-man back line includes Ness as mm-hmm. part of it, even though in the defensive phase he's up in the midfield. So it, they, that is definitely a part of who they are to the point that their oh, fans yeah. have internalized it.
1: Yeah, and, and um, that that really that way of playing – Burhalter is going to live and die on it. Um, I don't see him changing. I mean, he'll. There are always going to be tweaks, but the idea of you know my team defensively will line up in four two three one, but I want my fullbacks to push up into the midfield. I want my center backs to spread out. Someone will drop in between to uh, lead the possession game. That's always going to be there. Um, I think this year some of the tweaks have just included uh, an admission, I think, on their part that. They're not good enough this year to get away with that on the road, um, to be so aggressive about it, I guess. So they're still going to spread out, but they're not going to do it as high up the field. And so guys like Finley and Merrim at RFK, I wouldn't expect to see them alongside uh, Ola Kamara. They're not going to be up there as tr- a true line of three forwards um, in those offensive phases. Um, I think they're, that's sort of an admission that had to happen for them because the, last year they could get away with it because they were so good at scoring goals, but this year they've been less effective, and thus if you just play wide open but you're not scoring any goals, you lose a lot. And here we are talking about the crew who are on 32 points at this stage of the season. So there you go. Um, I think they've figured out some things on the road as far as um, being a little more disciplined, slowing the tempo down, um, using that possession to try and make it hard for the – not just for the home team to get going, but, you know, that you, you can... If you're good at keeping the ball, you can take the crowd out of the game, too. Right. Um, and you can sort of lend the whole thing to, like... It almost starts to feel like a training exercise rather than a real game because it doesn't have that... the zip that a normal game has. Um, and they've been... they've been trying to get that going. They haven't been that effective at it, um, clearly, you know, for, uh, from their away record. Um, but they are working on it, and lately they've been starting to find a little more form. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if Berhalter was willing to I – th- I think he's going to come in not completely worried and saying, like, well, let's just try and take the air out of the ball because of Finley's burst in goals. I think he's up to seven now. And mm-hmm. like a month ago, he was only on like two or three. Yeah. Um, Merrim is, is playing better. Even without Iguain in the middle, even with that question mark, um, they've been good enough going forward where I don't think it's going to be a – Super cautious version of the Columbus Crew's game plan, um, but it won't be the same thing when you see them play at Crew Stadium, where they're sending that many guys forward, where it's three up front, and then also um, one of the two holding mids is jumping into the attack, and the attacking midfielder is jumping up there, and all of a sudden it's like playing NYCFC. Um, right at Crew Stadium, they'll they'll throw those numbers forward in on Wednesday night. They will if they're losing. You know, if it's 2-1 in the 70th minute, we should look for Columbus to pull a defender or um, somehow change things where they're they're going to go full-time into having three forwards or a 3-5-2 that is very, very much five midfielders where you're not like, well, are these guys fullbacks or are they wingbacks? These are going to be wide midfielders in a five-man midfield. Um, the, the crew are okay, especially at this time of year, they're okay with losing – you know, If they're down 2-1, they're okay with it turning to 3-1 or 4-1. Right. Um, they don't care about that. They care, like, let's try and get that second goal and whatever happens at the other end happens. Um, so we should expect that. Hopefully United can manage that phase of the game better than they did against Orlando. Um, if they find themselves up 2-1 and the crew start making the changes to get more direct or to just throw numbers forward... You've got to anticipate – I would hope that United goes on the field knowing that that's possible, that that's something to expect. Um, But manage the game by being the team that hoards possession and just keeps the – if the game gets boring, if it stops having chances at that stage, that means United's doing a good job. Um, And the funny thing is, like, if the game is boring in the first half, that means Columbus is getting what they want. Um, if If it's just Columbus knocking the ball around and D.C. isn't breaking out very often, then the crew are having the game that they would prefer to have.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the later the drama, the the better the crew are executing their game plan.
1: Right. Um, which is strange because we're talking about DC and their league leading eight goals and stoppage time, et cetera. Yes. Um, but no, this is a game where DC really needs to go out and start well and get themselves out in front rather than letting the crew play themselves into it and get comfortable with playing their style of game. If, if the game is high tempo, it means that DC is getting the style that they want. And so... You've got that stylistic clash, which is always pretty interesting to watch, and you don't always see an MLS because a lot of teams play kind of similarly. I mean, there are differences, but it's a lot of it's around the margins. In this case, there are big differences. United wants to get upfield and be vertical. Columbus wants to spread wide. Um, yeah. And that really sums up the two different teams.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So where's the weak spot for Columbus, and, and what will United do to try to exploit it?
1: Uh, the entire back four, um, (laughs) and their goalkeeper. Um, That's an
0: answer you like to hear.
1: Yeah, uh, Columbus defensively has just been kind of a mess this year, um, I'm trying to think of, uh, left back, they've had Waylon Francis, uh, Corey Ash came in, now Hector Jimenez has two or three starts in a row there, and he's been mostly a right-sided player in his career, um so left back clearly is, is something that they're worried about because no one is settled in as a starter. Um, Parkhurst has been unable to think far enough in advance to avoid being stuck in physical collisions, which he's always going to struggle with because he's just not big or strong. Um, Gaston Sauro, since he's come back helps a lot because he's actually good in the air. Um, good at that physical side of the game, good at being the guy that steps into play and lets Parkhurst drop off. Um, So all those things, uh, that helps them. But right back and left back, they haven't been very good. Um, Harrison Offal is still very good going forward. um, But defensively, he's been caught out a few times. And Parkhurst ends up having to scramble from – he's the right-sided center back. He ends up having to scramble out wide. He gets into a challenge that he's not cut out for. And all of a sudden, you know, things fall apart pretty quickly for them. Yeah, Um, Parkhurst
0: is definitely – in in his ideal world, he's an interception center back, not a yes. tackle center back. Yeah, he
1: doesn't he doesn't want to be in like if he if he could play a game in which physical contact was on uh, was not allowed, he would be much better off. Yeah. Um, Steve Clark hasn't been as sharp coming off of his line to make saves, um, and because Columbus pushes so far up, he has to push up as well. But he hasn't been delivering in that part of the game. Last year, he was able to make that save most of the time, and people were like, "Oh, it's you know." Steve Clark, he's doing his Manuel Neuer impression. Well, this year it's like well, this is what happens when that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in, in the back they should be pretty vulnerable, and and if United can break through the midfield at the speed of play that they like, those those things are going to get exposed, especially on the left. Um, with I assume we're gonna, I, I assume we're not going to see the rotation until the weekend. Um, I assume the we're gonna go, you know, all of our eggs are going to be win at home. Uh, and then whatever happens against TFC is what happens, um, which hopefully Giovinco plays on Wednesday against Orlando and then gets a game off to preserve his injury uh, right. on the weekend. Remember,
0: there is, there is a bye week coming up after the weekend. That's true. For That's true. a lot of teams. Uh, not every team, mind right. you. But of course. <laughs> DC United, it's an international. It's a FIFA break. Yes. And DC United is not playing during this one. NYCFC, who DC United will play, are playing, not an MLS, They're playing Fabiana Spindola's new team, Nikaha, from Mexico. Because, of course, they are.
1: Um,
0: I don't understand why they're playing that friendly. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who else is playing, whether Toronto is or not. I should really look that up because that would seem pertinent to this conversation. Um, (laughs) Yes. So, let's see. Uh, Okay, actually, it looks like there's only one MLS game, and it's in the Western Conference, so nobody has to worry about that except NYCFC playing a friendly, which benefits United potentially. But it's entirely possible that everybody other than Houston and Colorado and NYCFC will just play all of their guys or as many of their guys as they can three games in a week knowing that there's a week off coming and they can recover from any. Potential overuse,
1: right? It's possible, especially you know the training staffs have so much more information than they used to have, <clears throat> and so they can say you know this player is really we're, we're pushing the limits with this guy rather than saying like well that such and such looks tired to me so I'm guess I guess you should right. rotate him I don't know um, we'll see about that I definitely don't think it's a problem for this game though um, Thursday show will be probably a lot about who's going to get rotated and what's going to happen. Um, this game, I think DC especially, it would it would surprise me if the lineup isn't the team that was on the field after Sarvas came off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm t- taking a sip because my throat was getting dry. Um, <laughs> Peek behind the curtain, everyone. Yeah, um, but I would I would I would guess that Columbus, because of the less the one less day and having to travel, they might have to rotate a couple players, but it'll probably be close to the same the full team left back is still an open question for them. Um, outside of that, though, I don't think there will be too many changes. I think um, we'll see pretty much the lineup they had with number 10. We already talked about how many guys could step in there. And yeah. if Chani, if Chani doesn't play that role and he doesn't get suspended, he'll probably be back in central midfield right? Um, in, in the engine room rather than further up. So, you know, I would I would think that United wants to exploit Lloyd Sam against the whoever the left back, whether it's Jimenez or Corey Ash or Waylon Francis, um, should be able to, to help pin Harrison Othful back a little bit more than he normally is. And I would feel, I feel like Mullins should have plenty of success as long as he's able to get himself lined up against Parkhurst fairly regularly. If it's Mullins versus Sauro every single time, then that's a that's not that's not good tactical planning by DC United. Um, the good thing about playing a lone forward is that he can pick where he's going to make those runs, right. um, and what Mullins should be doing is running at Parkhurst whenever it's feasible, because he has a physical advantage there that Parkhurst cannot make up for. And mentally, this year hasn't been thinking so far ahead that he can get away with it. Um, so that's what I, I that's what I hope United is planning a game plan based around those three things, because if those guys get going, then we should see um, enough goals to get another win and a, a win that I think we were having this discussion earlier today, the, the percentages as far as United's chances of making the playoffs go. Doesn't doesn't this win take it above 75% if they were to win?
0: Or I think it takes it close to 70% right now. There's it depends on who, which mm. calculation you're using. Um Okay. One of them uh the one MLS uses, I think the team is sixty four percent now, jump a jump from um thirty nine percent before the Orlando game. So that game really was the most important. It took us from being on the outside looking in to being uh favorites to make the playoffs, um at least in one of those last two spots. Um and a win will, you know, on, on Wednesday will only further that effort. Right. So, I think that's it for us tonight. Stay tuned for another episode later this week, probably on Friday, before DC United uh, head up to Toronto for that game. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter, at filibuster DCU. For the, web, uh, for the podcast, for the website, it's at blackandredyou. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at com. We'll probably open up the Twitter box again soon, so send your tweets and your emails our way. Find us on iTunes, find us on Stitcher, we're on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, when you go to... You know, after work, you you hop on the metro, and it eventually gets you to RFK, or you hop on bike share, or you drive, or whatever. You're at RFK. You're having a beer in the parking lot before the game, or you're at the Papusa stand uh, with your buds. Uh, tell a friend about the podcast. That's really the best way to spread the word. Uh, we will talk to you real soon. For Jason, I'm Adam, and you know Ben is eating chicken wings and watching politics. So. Screw that guy Say goodbye Jason
1: Screw you Ben